Uh, those are just a few images from our spring break mission trip that we went on over spring break. Um, and we had a good time, and uh, we would love if uh, more of you went next year, especially some that know how to speak Spanish, because none of us did, and it was awkward at times. But, um, but yeah, so we are um, continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark tonight. And, um, you know, back when I was doing youth ministry, I remember... I was leading a group of students on a spring break mission trip, and uh, and I was kind of mainly in charge of the middle school kids or so forth. And so um, we, we we were in Atlanta, and so we were doing a uh, inner city ministry, and um, and so we were we we're working with Atlanta inner city ministry, and, and so we weren't going far, but. One day we were going, we were taking these kids from this inner city ministry and taking them to the zoo. Uh, and it was going to be a lot of fun. We had the whole day planned out. And uh, this was like the last day of the, the mission trip. And we were taking them to the zoo for, for some fun. And so we, I was up early that morning and I was making all the like sack lunches for everyone. My, uh, my students and the students that were going to come and everything and we knew how many students were coming and so we all get there at the zoo and sure enough one of the uh kids um brought their sibling along and so we were short one lunch and so naturally being the good person that i am i just gave them my my sack lunch and um and so they're they're all enjoying their time at the zoo and it comes lunchtime and I'm starving because I've been up since like five that morning preparing these lunches and everything and uh, and so I'm starving so I hop over to the concession stand and I grab some chicken fingers and I am stuffing my face with chicken fingers when one of my students walks around the corner and he sees me and he instantly gives me this look and then it dawned on me that I had lectured them, I had told them, under no circumstance are you guys to buy lunch. You guys are gonna eat the sack lunch because these kids, they don't have the means to buy their, their own lunch. And so you're gonna eat the sack lunch just like they are, and under no circumstance are you to buy food from the concession stand. And here I was, shoving my face with chicken fingers. And the look that he gave me immediately after that I knew that trust was lost, respect was lost. Um, my witness was hurt as a result of that one action because I was being hypocritical. I was doing the exact thing that I had lectured them not to do. Last week we looked at Mark 10 and we looked at the uh, example of, and, and I love the way Mark 10 is, is laid out, and, and we looked at the rich young ruler, the story of the rich young ruler, and at the end of Mark 10, there's a story of the blind uh, Bartimaeus, and they are in contrast to each other. You see, the rich young ruler goes to Jesus and he says, and he asks what he can do to inherit eternal life, and the blind man, he comes to Jesus and ask Jesus to do things for him. The rich young ruler came to Jesus proud of all of his accomplishments and what he has done and the way he had lived his life. And Bartimaeus was humble daily 
through begging and asking others to survive. And the rich young ruler, he left Jesus sad. But blind Bartimaeus, he left Jesus rejoicing and following him down the street. And we said that you had a choice every day to be either the rich young ruler or the blind Bartimaeus. And I love the way John Markey set up that chapter because it's these stories kind of uh, sandwich a big chunk of what happened. And, and in chapter 11, John Mark, he, he follows a similar pattern. It, it, you have, um, if you go to the next slide, it, the pattern of chapter 11, it goes like, you have two, it bookends, right? You have two stories that kind of go together, and then you have two stories about a fig tree that kind of uh, sandwich the crux and the climax of this chapter of Jesus clearing the temple. And so let's hop right in, uh, starting in Jesus, or uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 1. As Jesus was, uh, Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Beth, Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey, donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? And just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing and tying the colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in, in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the twelve disciples. And so this is the beginning of what many theologians and Christians call Passion Week, or the last week before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And many Christians call it Passion Week, and John Marquis spends over a third of the gospel depicting this final Passion Week. Over a third of the gospel. One theologian said that Mark is just a, uh, the first chapters 1 through 10 is just a long introduction to chapters 11 through 16. And so this is... Everything we have studied up to this point has been leading up to the rest of this chapter. And this is kind of the beginning of the end, if you, if you know what I'm saying. And it's Passion Week, and Jesus, he is deliberate in what he is doing here. He is proving and showing that he has authority over the temple and over Jerusalem. And the people, they accept it. 
They accept him because they want him as king. They want him to come and free them from the rule of Rome. But Jesus, he had a different plan. Instead of freeing them from the rule of Rome, instead he came to free them from the rule of sin. So continuing on in verse verse 12. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree uh, and full leaf a little ways off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. This fig tree, it says it was too early for fruit, but it also says it was full of leaves. And uh, historians and people who study plants and and whatnot, they say that this tree should have been uh, full of little figs. I think it's called knops, right? Um, These green, unripe figs that were still edible and could have still fed Jesus. But he approaches the tree and there is nothing on the tree. It is deceptive. It is bearing no fruit. And so he curses it. And this is a foreshadow of what is about to happen, right? In in verse 15, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teachings. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. So this is Passover in Jerusalem. And during Passover, Jerusalem could swell to up to 10 times its normal population. And the reason is because if you were within a certain radius of Jerusalem as a Jew, you were required by law to come to Jerusalem to Passover and make sacrifices and offerings. And so Jerusalem has all these people that are coming from out of town, and the temple is taking advantage of it. You see, uh, historians said that typically a pair of pigeons would cost around 25 cents. But during Passover week, they would gouge the price up, and it would cost $4 for a single pigeon. And not only that, all of this was happening in the courtyard of the temple. And the Mount of Olives is right outside of Jerusalem. And that's typically where all of this would have happened. But the high priest brought it into the temple and was desecrating the temple. The temple, the courtyard of the temple was supposed to be a place of praying. But instead it became a place of taking advantage of the poor. 
starting in verse 20. The next morning, as they pressed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. This is the same tree that he had cursed earlier before he cleared the temple. And here is the point of tonight's lesson, and I think the point, one of the points of this passage, is that Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. You see, the temple had become so corrupted and so full of hypocrisy that it was no longer serving its purpose. Instead of people coming and experiencing God and seeing the grandeur of the temple and seeing that it was God's dwelling place, all they saw was corruption and hypocrisy. And the temple was destroyed. This temple that, that Jesus went to was destroyed just a few years after it was completed just like the fig tree was destroyed. And while the temple was destroyed, as Christians now, we are the temple of Christ. God's spirit dwells within us. We are now living temples. And just as Jesus hated hypocrisy in the temple back then, he hates hypocrisy in your life and in my life today. See, when you lead a Bible study, then turn around and pay people to do assignments for you. Jesus and the world, they see that. When you profess Christ with your mouth one moment, then turn around and gossip and slander and speak poorly about others in the next, the world. And Jesus, they see that. When you go partying on Saturday, then wake up and go to church on Sunday. Jesus and the world, they see that. When you go to church on Sunday, and then on Monday, you cheat on a quiz or a test to Jesus and the world, they see that. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Verse 22. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I will tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it. It will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins. 
too. Jesus uses this fig tree as an object lesson for his disciples. You see, he is saying what should be happening in the temple. Instead of hypocrisy and corruption, what should be happening is people should be seeing the mighty works of God. Their faith should be growing. There should be praying. There should be forgiveness of sins. But instead, it's hypocrisy and corruption. And Jesus, he hates hypocrisy. Trey Clark, the youth minister at Laurel, on Sunday did communion thoughts, and he shared this verse, um, uh, 2 Timothy 3, um, 2 through 11. And it reads, For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Pay attention to this next verse. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. There are Christians that are going to act and appear religious but instead they are full of hypocrisy and corruption there are people that are going to care more about the way they appear to others than living an authentic Christian life And so, how do you know if you are living a life full of hypocrisy? How do you know if you are one of those Christians that is full of corruption and hypocrisy that Jesus hates? Well, for me, all right, a couple of things that I kind of gauge myself with is the first like I said, if you care more about the way you appear to others, if you care more that you appear godly and appear like you have your life all together than living an authentic Christian life, then that is a good sign that you are headed towards or living in hypocrisy. If you care more about fitting in than doing the right thing, whether it's saying an inappropriate joke or making fun of someone or going along with peer pressure, then living an authentic Christian life, then that is a good sign that you are living in hypocrisy. If there's no transformation in your life, 
That is a good sign that you are living in hypocrisy. And another thing I gauge is if I'm producing fruit. The fig tree was producing no fruit. And so if you, as a Christian, are producing any fruit, or the fruit that you're producing is rotten, then that is a good sign that you might be living in hypocrisy. See, most Christians, they produce no fruit or very little fruit. And when I see that in my life, that's probably a good sign that I'm, I'm headed towards or I'm living in hypocrisy. And sometimes the fruit that Christians do produce is, is rotten. Because if you, if you produce fruit, but you're okay with lying and cheating and stealing, then the fruit you produce, guess what? They're also going to be okay with lying and cheating and stealing. If you produce fruit, but you are okay with gossiping and slander and talking bad about others, then the fruit you produce, they're going to be okay with gossiping and slander and talking bad about others as well. And so if you're not producing true disciples of Christ where their lives are being transformed, then maybe you're living in hypocrisy. So those are just a couple of ways that I kind of tell whether or not I'm headed towards living in hypocrisy or not. We're almost out of time, so I'm going to wrap this up. Um, the, the last section, starting in 27, it says, Again, they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you answer one question, Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, they won't tell you by what, or then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Once again, the beginning of this chapter started with Jesus declaring his authority over Jerusalem and the temple. And it ends with the religious elite questioning Jesus's authority. And most Christians, most of you, probably know what's coming in the next couple of days. Jesus is going to be crucified. And he is going to become the ultimate sacrifice for sin once and for all. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus came in and he turned the tables of those selling sacrifices. 
He was getting rid of the old way. He was saying, this way is no longer needed because I am going to become your sacrifice. No longer are you going to have to buy sacrifices and offer them at the temple because I am going to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Jesus is about to show that he has authority over the temple and authority over the way things are going to work for the rest of time. So if you're here tonight and you realize that maybe you've been appearing religious, but you haven't really been following Christ. You've been living a life full of hypocrisy. And it's not too late. You can accept Christ tonight and become a true disciple of Christ. If you're here and you want to accept Christ as the ultimate sacrifice once and for all for your sins, then you can do that tonight. I would love to talk with you on how to make that happen. I know any of our student leaders would love to talk to you, too. So I'm going to pray for you guys, and I'm sorry we're running a little bit over. Um, I think we have one more song, and then we'll be done. Father God, we just uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for being a good God and a mighty God and a great God that um, loves us. We thank you for being... Um, sending your son as the ultimate sacrifice, the one that um, has authority over the temple, um, has authority over uh, over our lives, Lord. Um, we pray that uh, our lives will be authentic and not be full of hypocrisy and that the world will see that we are true disciples of Christ that are striving to be more like you every day. And I pray all of this in your son's most precious holy name. Amen.